Well, hey everyone. If we haven't met yet, my name is James, and I am the last summer student left standing. <laughs> and I am super, super excited to be able to share the, in the Word of God with you tonight. We're going to dive into a, a really challenging passage, but I think the Lord really has something unique that he wants to say to us tonight. And whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years, whether you're brand new to the faith, or hey, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're a skeptic and you're here just checking out what Christianity is all about, welcome, we are so glad that you are here. But wherever you're at on your faith journey tonight, all of us have questions about what it means to live the Christian life. What, does the, what should the Christian lifestyle look like? What should the Christian stance be on some of these issues that we hear talked about all of the time? There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff where there's a lot of gray areas on where am I supposed to stand on this? You know, um, growing up, a big, one of those big gray areas, one of those big topics for me was secular music. I grew up in Cape Breton, and I very fortunately got to go to, to a great Christian school there in Cape Breton. And I can remember being in a class-wide discussion one day all about, is it okay if you're a Christian to listen to secular music? You know, I, I grew up a lot more on the conservative end of things, pastor's kid and all that. And so I got up in front of the class and adamantly debated and argued that, there is no place for secular music in the Christian life. That's a waste of your time. It'll rot your brain. There's no way that secular music could give glory to God. And I was absolutely shocked that my friends, who I thought were Christians and loved Jesus, liked to listen to the Beatles and Coldplay and even Taylor Swift. Heaven forbid. <laughs> But one of my friends got up in front of the class and she started talking about how because God is a creator, because creativity is in his nature, that actually um, she could experience the Holy Spirit even when listening to secular music because of how beautiful and artistic it was and how that shows um, how God has put his image into people. And so my jaw just hit the floor. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud because love and grace, but I thought to myself, sister, if you're listening to secular music and you're experiencing a spirit, that ain't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there are lots of issues like that where we're not really sure which side of the debate a Christian should be on. But I'm here to tell you tonight that we're going to put an end to all of those debates. We're going to cover all of that tonight, so buckle up. I'm being a little facetious, but this passage in Romans chapter 14 actually has a lot to say about what we do. It has an argument for how it can honor and glorify God. So through it, God has something that he wants. Version Bible app, feel free to pull your phone out, or if you're old-fashioned Latin, starting at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him to stand. One person esteems one day as higher or better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide to, put, to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for the one who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. And approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for another to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. And that is the key, right in this phrase right here. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know, last week Jason talked about how um, these chapter and verse markings often are unhelpful because in the original text, this, this wasn't just a, a book, this was a letter to people, and so um, those b- chapter breaks are just there to help us um, today have a sense of what we're talking about and to know where we are, and so we can literally be on the same page. Um, and here, actually, th- the chapter markings are helpful because chapter 14 in chapter 14, Paul is making one cohesive point. There's two arguments that he's using to make one cohesive point, and they kind of cycle into each other and then continue into the next chapter. And so the first argument that Paul makes here in this chapter is, do not judge, cast out, or ostracize 
Do not judge a brother or sister in Christ whom God welcomes. What does that mean? Well, in other words, don't judge your fellow believers who are doing what is right in God's eyes because it's not right in your eyes. You see the distinction there? Do not judge your brother and sister who are doing what is good and right in the eyes of God because it's wrong in your eyes. Paul starts off this chapter by kind of dividing up Christians into these two categories. Those who are weak and those who are strong. Now before we get all up in arms and start pointing out who's weak and who's strong, we're not going to do that tonight. Um, <laughs> before... It's important to clarify that that's not tiers of Christianity. That's not strong Christians are better than weak Christians, or it's not even that strong Christians are better behaved than weak Christians. The distinction that he's making is not between good and bad. The distinction is between strong and weak in faith. Those who are walking in all of the freedom and the, the clear conscience that is available to us in Christ— and those who are not walking in that freedom. The strong are walking in freedom. The weak are not walking in the full extent of that freedom. And so the main way that that shows up in this passage, you heard, probably heard as we read there, there's a lot of talk about meat and vegetables and what's going on here. So the, the context kind of behind that uh, isn't really clear from this passage. But if the situation in the church in Rome is anything like the situation in, in the church in Corinth, um, that we learn about in 1 Corinthians, kind of what's going on here is that when, you, when the, the Christians would go out to the market because they lived in a pagan and secular society where idol worship was the normal, so all of the meat that would be affordable in the marketplace had actually been sacrificed to idols. And so there was a group of Christians, whom here Paul classifies as weak, that decided, you know what, if this, if this meat, if this beef has all been sacrificed to, to false gods and to idols and has been using this evil, evil practice of worshiping false gods, then I want nothing to do with it. I'm n saying no to steak, and I am going vegetarian. Pretty bold, if you ask me. But do you notice how counterintuitive it is that Paul classifies them as, as weak? See, the weak Christians in, in this example here were actually the ones who made a radical change to their lifestyle and to their diet to do what they thought would honor and serve and glorify God. That doesn't sound quite right to our brains. Typically, that's how we would think of a strong Christian. But Paul classifies these guys as weak, not because what they did was wrong. It's not wrong to be vegetarian, especially not for the reason of glorifying God. They were actually right to do that. But they were weak because they weren't walking in the full extent of the freedom and the clear conscience that was available to them in Jesus. So the question is, were the strong ones wrong to eat the meat that had probably been sacrificed to idols? Well, according to this text, absolutely not. Both the weak Christians and the strong Christians did what was right because they, they ate or didn't eat to the honor and the glory of God. They did what they did because they wanted to please Jesus. Both of them were right 
But one group was weaker than the other because they weren't walking in the full extent of the freedom that was offered to them. What on earth does that mean? Well, if we look at verse 14, we learn that in the new way of Jesus, in um, this new covenant relationship with God, where we are righteous by faith and not by our works, nothing is unclean in and of itself. That meat that the weak Christians regarded as unclean actually wasn't unclean. It was only unclean because they thought it was unclean. Both groups honored God, but the strong Christians honored God for the food that he provided and didn't feel convicted about where it had come from. And you see, that's a really hard pill to swallow. That's, that's something that's really hard to realize, that we can do what is right, but still not be strong, still not walk in all of the freedom that God has available to us. I had a, an experience of kind of realizing that myself a couple years back. You know, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about whether or not I should eat meat. I just enjoy steak. But um, another kind of subject that would be a lot more relevant to us here in Barrington in 2022 would be the issue of alcohol. Now, I want to be really, really clear right off the get-go that the Bible has a very firm stance on drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. We are not to get drunk. We are to be sober-minded. We are to um, be clear-headed. We are to use our mind and our body and our spirit to glorify God. We're not talking about getting drunk here. But I also understand from, from Scripture that there... There's nothing wrong with drinking responsibly at a legal age in moderation. And so I was in this place a couple years ago where I understood that from Scripture. I, I, I understood that it's, it's okay to, to drink in moderation and drink responsibly. But I would get super uncomfortable if my Christian friends were having a glass of wine with supper. That made me super uncomfortable. And I actually started to think that I was better than them and holier than them because I didn't drink. See, I got self-righteous. And I actually started to judge them for what they were doing. Even though I thought I believed that it wasn't wrong. See, I thought I was the strong Christian but the Holy Spirit convicted me through this passage, actually, that I was actually a weak Christian. And that's a hard pill to swallow. See, that's the first argument that Paul is making. Whether you drink or you don't, whether you eat meat sacrificed to idols or don't, as long as you're doing what you're doing to honor God, don't judge people who go about honoring God differently. And that's an important qualifier. As long as we're doing what we do to honor God. Scripture is clear that there are ways to dishonor God. There are things that we should not do. And there are good ways to honor God. But as long as we're talking about these kind of circumstances like um, alcohol or meat or secular music where it's possible to honor God on either side, 
where there isn't a super clear moral imperative from Scripture to, to not do this, we should not be judging people who feel more or less freedom in that area. That, that judgment can go either way, and neither way should we be judging. Because Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, which is a sentiment that's echoed here by Paul in this passage, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. You see, in this radical way of Jesus, this, this new covenant that we find ourselves, this new relationship that we can have with God, it's not about keeping a list of rules and regulations, about obeying dietary restrictions or anything like that. It goes deeper than that. It goes to our motivations. It's all about faith. So the second argument that Paul is making here in this passage is that regardless of the level of freedom that you feel, the, the level of faith that you have, never cause a brother or sister, never cause the people around you to stumble because of that freedom. Or in other words, if you, it's great that you have the freedom in Christ to do these things that you have a clear conscience about and you, that you can have that clear conscience in Christ and you can go do those good things, but by doing those good things, don't cause another person to have a, a block, a barricade, a stumbling block in their faith. Don't do damage to other people's faith by doing good things because that would actually make those good things into bad things. It would actually make it sin. So, keeping with our alcohol example, if you're fully convinced in your mind and have a clear conscience and a clear spirit that it's okay for you to have a glass of wine with your, with your dinner, great. Knock yourself out. Uh, actually, no, drunkenness is a sin. Don't knock yourself out. <laughs> but go for it. All the power to you. But if you understand, if you know, say you want to have um, some friends over for supper, and maybe one of those friends is a new Christian, and maybe because of some past experiences or whatever, they actually maybe struggled with alcoholism. And if you know that about them, and you're inviting them over to supper, and you're planning to, to drink with your supper, if you're planning to have a glass of wine with your meal, that would actually be sin. Because you know full well that that could actually do damage to them. That could actually do damage to their relationship with Jesus. That could cause them to stumble. That could be uh, really difficult for them to, to see you uh, drink. And so, in that instance, that good thing actually becomes sin. You see, there's, there's a new gauge. It's not about whether or not it's objectively right and wrong. It's, it's all about how our actions affect other people. You see, this passage is calling us to make a shift in focus. The, the shift that we have to make is off of what other people are doing. Are they right? Are they wrong? Oh, I wouldn't have done that in that situation. Oh, she shouldn't be doing that. It, it, it's away from that, away from the outside judgmental stuff, actually into how does what I'm doing affect the people around me? Am I being a good witness for Jesus? Am, actually, am I actually, by enjoying the freedom that God has given me, am I actually hurting the people around me? Am I actually causing them to stumble, to question their faith, to go, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't believe a Christian would do that. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus if that's what being a Christian's like. How does what we're doing affect other people? It's a, it's a focus away from judging others to actually 
really focusing on loving our neighbor and how what I do affects the people around me. Another really prominent example um, that, that kind of comes up in this passage, you know, I, I grew up in the church, and so I, I've, I've heard the, this phrase, don't cause a brother to stumble, used a lot. And usually when it's used, it's in reference to clothing and modesty. And more often than not, it's um, uh, a guy, a, a man getting up in front on a stage like this, kind of like me, getting up and talking to all of the women in the room and saying, you better not dress a certain way or else all the men in the room are going to start lusting after you and that's going to be your fault. And see, don't, now again, I feel the tension. Don't get me wrong. Modesty is super, super important. It's important to honor God with our bodies to glorify God. And it's important for men and for women. But the point of this passage is not for me in my position to get up here and tell you what to do with the freedom that God has given you and to not cause me to stumble with that. My responsibility is to get up here and think about how my actions affect you, whether or not I'm judging you. It's my responsibility not to judge. It's our responsibility not to judge one another. It's our responsibility not to sin. It's not up to us to get up here and, and, and tell um, the women how to not cause us to sin. It's actually a, a call to responsibility that I shouldn't be judging you for how you're using the freedom that God has given you, how you're dressing, how you're living your life. And it's actually their responsibility to make sure that they're not using their beauty, something that is good, to cause their brothers and sisters to stumble. You see, it's not an issue of dress code. It's not an issue of dietary regulations. It's a matter of the heart, guys. It's a matter of the spirit. It's a matter of faith. And this is a totally new way of thinking about morality and ethics and sin. It's, it's all part of this backwards kingdom that Jesus invites us into. Now, don't get me wrong, the Bible still is super, super clear that there are things that are good and there are things that are not good, that are wrong, that we should not do. But this passage is really awesome for giving us clarity on those kind of gray areas where it's, I'm, oh, I'm not sure where I should stand on this. Because it's not about the objectively right and wrong. It's actually about the motivation behind why we do what, what we do. So, what should that motivation be? Well, verse 23 sums it up really well. Romans 14, verse 23 says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let that sink in for a minute. That means that I can do something that is good, something that is objectively not wrong, and it can still be sin. So I can get up here and I can preach and, and teach the Bible, which is an objectively good thing, but if I'm not doing that because of faith, because I trust that God actually wants to say something to us tonight, if I get up here and do this because, oh, I want you to think I'm cool or I like the sound of my own voice, which I don't, if that's why I'm up here, then I'm sinning. Everything that we do needs to come from a place of trust and faith in Jesus the Greek word here for faith is pistis, which I can say in, in, in church because it's a Greek word. Um, that can also be translated as trust. 
trust in God needs to be the defining feature of our actions. That needs to be our motivation. And that needs to be the summary of our, the entirety of our lives, not just individual actions, individual relationships. That needs to be the sum total of all of our lives. Verses 7 and 8 say, None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Our lives need to be framed all around Jesus and our faith in him. And you see, that works because if, if everything we do proceeds from a place of faith, then everything we do is going to be loving to our neighbor. Everything we do is going to be honoring and glorifying to God. And everything we do, if we are proceeding from a place of faith, will actually please God, because Hebrews 11:6 says, "And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him." I'm going to invite the worship team and the and the prayer team to come up. So I think there's a few different people in this room tonight, and maybe you'll identify with one of these. I think that some of you maybe have never actually made a decision to follow Jesus, or you've walked away and you need to make that decision again. And hopefully you have a better picture tonight after um, hearing this and after experiencing uh, worship of what walking in faith in Jesus actually looks like. Well, if that's you, I really want to encourage you. I desperately want to invite you to come up for prayer to make that decision to follow Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to start living this abundant life of freedom that God is calling you into. So if that's you, please come. The second kind of person, and maybe this is you, and I, I relate deeply to this, this person. You're walking with Jesus, you're already a Christian, but for whatever reason, maybe you're new to the faith or maybe because of experiences that you've had, You're not totally walking in the freedom that God has for you. Your conscience isn't totally clear. And in fact, you're not walking in freedom, and so you expect others not to walk in freedom. And in fact, you actually start to judge other people for walking in that freedom that Jesus has invited them into. And so your entire focus is actually on how everybody else is living and judging how everybody else is living. Maybe you need to go through that process like what I had to go through a couple years ago where I actually had to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and realize, man, I'm not as strong of a Christian as I thought I was. I'm actually a weak Christian. Because when we do that, we can actually invite the Holy Spirit to start to change our minds and our hearts to actually give us more faith, to actually step into the freedom that God is inviting us into, to take our focus off of what everybody else is doing and start to focus on how am I living and how is that affecting other people? If that's you, I also want to encourage you to please come up for prayer. And the third kind of person that's in this room tonight, you're walking in total freedom. You're a Christian, you're walking with Jesus, you're strong in faith, your conscience is clear. Now is actually a great opportunity for you to sit back and think and assess and pray and evaluate 
hey God, like what are what are the ways are, are there things in my life that I'm not I'm doing that don't actually proceed from faith? Are there things that I'm doing, freedoms that I'm walking in that are actually hurting people around me that are are being stumbling blocks to the people around me? So if that's you, there's actually an opportunity as we continue in worship to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to point out stuff in your life, to point out things that don't actually proceed from faith and to ask him to show you how to actually keep walking in freedom in a way that loves and honors the people around you. And as we sing this last song, as we continue in worship tonight, you know, it's, it's great to talk about faith. It's great to talk about all of these things, but we, we constantly need to be reminded what our faith is in. You know, I'm a, I'm a philosophy minor. I could stand up here and talk moral frameworks and ethics all night long, and I would love to do that sometime if anybody's interested. But that's not all that Christianity is. Where It's not just a moral framework. It's not just ideas about right and wrong. Our faith is in a person. Our faith is in a living hope. His name is Jesus. And he died and raised again from the dead to actually give us a living hope, to actually come and walk with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, to give us power and to give us freedom so that every single day we can live with a clear conscience to know that we are righteous not by our own works, not by our own efforts, not by what I do or what I don't do, but because Jesus lived a perfect life and died and took the punishment for my sin in my place. That there is actually freedom today, that there is a living person, a living God, a living hope that we can do life with and experience right now in this moment here today. So would you stand with me as we continue to worship and pray? God, I thank you that this, this book, your word, is more than just the thoughts of a bunch of dead guys. But God, you are actually living and speaking through your word. That these, this isn't just philosophy. This isn't just a bunch of ideas about right and wrong. But this is actually a lifestyle that you not only call us to live, but enable us to live. That you actually want us to walk in freedom and you want to be the one who gets us there, who gives us that freedom. So Lord, I pray right now in this place that people would start to experience that freedom. That you would pull people from darkness into light. That you would illuminate the areas in our life that we need to surrender to you, that don't come from faith, that actually come from fear. And I just pray against those in Jesus' name. And I pray that we would, that, that all of us would see freedom. That you would invite us into life and life abundantly. Would you do that in this place tonight? In Jesus' name, amen.